0: If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 John. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. We're continuing our series on the tests of life through 1 John. You know, Thursday night we were in 1 Corinthians and we were in chapter 13, the chapter that is known as the love chapter. And we talked about how the early church adopted the word agape, agape. In the Greek, it was a word that was out there, but it was a word that wasn't commonly used in the Greek language. And the Christians adopted this word and kind of hijacked it and made it their own. It was the idea of a love that was void of self. It was giving. It was sacrificial. And they used this word to identify the love that God has. For us, for God so loved the world, and and if we have not love, all these words are the word agape. And we saw how we have this possibility to know about love, but there is something deeper. There is a love that is stronger. There is a love that is much greater than the love that we commonly use. You know, I love baseball. I love video games. I love hot dogs. I love chorizo burritos, I love these things, but then there has to be this identification that there is a love that is different, there is a love that is greater, there is a love that is deeper. And so this word agape was adopted into this definition, and we see that John has been doing the same thing with the word life chapter 5, he says that the reason I have written these things, all the things that were in this book of First John, are that you might know that you have eternal life. And we've talked about and we're going to talk about again that this isn't about a longevity of life. This is about a quality of life. And we saw how this test to prove whether you have this life in you or not is if you are towards the truth. If the truth is in you. Or if you're living a life of deception, you know that this life is not in you. If you're postured towards love, then you recognize that this life is in you. And we spoke about how if we say that we have not sinned, we, we lie. And that we have been created with moral intention to have lives that are destined to hit that target that God has created for us, his glory that bring honor to him. And if we think nothing of that, if we feel ourselves have no moral obligation, then this life is not in us, but we deny it and and we don't do the truth. And John is trying to get us to recognize what this life is about, what this life looks like, and how we can know that we have this life. And we want to look at another way that this life can bring identification. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. It says, We know that we have come to know him When you hear words like command and obey, those words tend to bring thoughts of confining or obligation, religious requirement. They're they're words that kind of i don 't know about you, but I never liked the word command or obey. Maybe that says something about me, but it was all these those things that I kind of resisted. It was like you 're trying to push me into something you're you 're trying to to take control of me you 're taking away my freedom, and we 've resisted these kinds of words, but the purpose John is writing here isn 't to give us a set of rules. That we have to follow, his purpose is to help us identify really where we are. And the idea here that we have come to know him, we can know that if we have a life that is in obedience and we see now that obedience is an expression, it's not an obligation. It's an expression of the relationship we have With God. It is not an obligation put upon you. And it's real important that we understand that because this is helping us to see that our goal is not to to get a little bit better. Our goal is not to be a little bit more obedient. Our goal is not to, to follow His commands. Our goal is to know Him. That's what we want. That's the the heart of this. In fact, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 17. If you go there, John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus said, now this is eternal life. This is it, guys. This is eternal life that you may know. This is eternal life that you may that." They may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is praying here. He's praying for our benefit. He's praying out loud so that we would understand his prayer. And he's praying to God. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you. You see, again, eternal life is not this future thing. One day we are going to have eternal life. It's not an event that is coming in the future. It is an event that we come into. Think about it. Eternity isn't just the future. It's also the past. It's always been. And so when we step into this eternal life, it is something that surrounds us. It's not something that is coming to the Future somewhere down here, it is something that we step into and we find that it is all around us. And this is eternal life that they may know you and the Christ. That's what eternal life is. And so it's not a matter of doing things, it's a matter of knowing God. Truly knowing God. And this isn't new, we find this also in Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks about this chapter 24 verse 7 says I will give them a heart what to know me that I am the Lord they will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their hearts. And so we see again that the purpose was that we would know him. The reason we're given this new heart is that we might know him. Knowing him is eternal life. It is the life, is this knowledge, this awareness of God, this understanding of who God is. For us to have the knowledge of God, it moves us into a relationship. For there to be obedience, for you to obey someone, you have to, trust them. You have to know that they know what they're talking about. You have situations like in the military where your life is in someone's hand. You have to have confidence that that person knows what's going on. Or maybe even flying an airplane. I have to have confidence that that pilot knows what those knobs and those controls do. That's why I get in the plane, because I have confidence that someone knows what's going on, that they're able to to land this thing. I trust that they know what they're doing. Have you ever had confidence in someone and they gave you advice and it was good advice? They told you something and you listened to it and it was like, wow, wow. I guess they know what they're talking about. Maybe it's in a construction or in your trade where you listen to someone who's been experienced at this. Hey, man, if you can do this easier if you do it this way. And you listen to them and, wow, you know what you're talking about. And so you start listening to them, following them, because they know what's going on. Now, have you ever listened to someone and they didn't know what they're talking about? It changes things, doesn't it? Next time they say, hey... You knew you should try this. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, thanks. I, I've been there. I don't trust that you know what's going on. I, I'm not that confident in you. But you see, when we know God and we have confidence that he has our best interests in mind and that he knows what's best, we can listen and we can follow. Because we know him. And what John is trying to get us to understand is that this relationship with God produces a life where he is now seen within us. And his desire is to bring us into this place where we recognize this. And we have this backwards. We we think to know God, we have to to do certain things, you know if I start obeying and start going to church then i 'm going to get to know god and, and we put the the cart before the horse we we want to have this this life where okay if i I do these certain things, then i will Leverage my life so that I have a relationship. God will then hear me because I'm doing the right things. If, if I do these things, then I'm going to somehow appease God to, to give his ear. And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, you're, you're doing pretty good. I'll listen to you. I'll, I'll love you now because you're meeting my requirements. You, you've, you've done well enough to gain my affection. And that's just not so. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. We love him because he first loved us. It's a response, not a requirement. And it's what changes us. There's something about boys growing up that they don't like certain things like baths. Or, or brushing their teeth. Most boys, there's just this kind of, I'm fine. It's like, no, you're ripe, dude. You, you need to get in the, the tub. You need to get that. That's not a tan. you know. That That's dirt on you. And you have to ask them, did you brush your teeth? And they say yes, and they got stuff in there still. It's like, go brush them again. And you have to kind of go in there, dude. I remember, I shouldn't talk about myself like this, but it was a long time ago. I remember my mom would tell me, okay, go and take a bath, and I would go, and I don't know why, I just wanted to fool her like I took a bath. And so I'd get my hair wet, and I don't know what I did while I had the water running, pretending to take a bath, and I don't know why I didn't take a bath, but I just didn't want to. And then she'd go, did you take a bath? Yeah, see, my hair's wet. (laughs) I'm still stinky, you know, I just like, what... What happens? What, what goes on? But then something happens. All of a sudden, your, your, your son is, is taking baths. And all of a sudden, he's brushing his teeth. And he's finding your cologne. You're like, what's going on with you? Nothing. And then you see him walk out the door, you know, all proper. And then you see him talking to the girl next door. It's like, ah, for 15 years, I couldn't get you to do anything. Little Miss Princess here comes into your life and boom, all of a sudden, man, you are a new person. You care about your hair, you care about your shirt, your clothes, how you smell. It changes everything. Why? Because you have taken interest. It's now something that's important to you the same thing's true with girls. You know, for years, having an only daughter, I I thought it's important that she understands her father, her father's love for her. So I've gone out of my way to treat her nice, open doors for her, to take her out, to tell her, you're the most beautiful girl in the world. That way when some other bozo comes along and, and uses that line, she's heard it a thousand times. He, he's using my line, right? And goes, I'm just trying to, you know, diffuse the situation and leverage things so the guy doesn't have the control that he thinks he has. You know, I want her to know that I'm the sun and she's the earth. But it changes. It changes. It shifts. All of a sudden, this guy comes into her life, and she doesn't want to spend time with dad. Where are you going? I'm going out with this guy. But it's our night to watch TV. Sorry, dad, I'll be back later. She goes. And now he's the sun, and I'm just an asteroid floating around. There, there's been a, a shift. There, there's a shift in her heart. and No matter how you try and stop it, it's going to happen. Because where the heart goes, the actions follow. And we see that this shift is a perceptual shift. It's something that we see differently. In verse 5, back in 1 John, we see, he says, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is made complete in him. This obedience is tied to love. It's an obedience that's connected to the love of God. It's not motivated by fear. It's not motivated by shame. It's, again, an obedience of expression. I'm doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because I care. It's this relationship I have with you that is now changing me. And it's changing me for the better. It's changing me to care about you and the things that you say. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 119, verse 32. It says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Now, isn't that the opposite of what we do? We think commands are there to constrict us. Commands are there to control us. Commands are there to bring boxes in and, and bring this oppression to us. But the psalmist says, I run to your commands because it's in your commands that I'm set free. We have it so backwards. Why would commands set us free? Because of who the commands are connected to. Someone we can trust. Someone who has our best interests in mind. Someone who knows us, knows the right things for us. Someone who has the ability to direct our lives in the right way. And you see, God's commands are what set us free. And instead of running from them, we should run to them. I have a device here. This is a training collar. (laughs) Yeah, I know, Spurgeon didn't like this. Your dog is dumb. Um, (laughs) I was using a nice word. Uh, This was designed by a veterinarian It mimics a dog's nipping at the neck. And if you put it on your arm and you give it a tug, it doesn't feel as bad as it looks. Now, it can cause irritation if it's used prolonged, too long of a period of time. But it's not as bad as it looks. I know it looks like a Dr. mangled torture device or something like that. But what this is meant to do is help bring control and help the dog understand if they're doing something that's not appropriate. How many times I I see these, you know, ladies, she's got a lab that weighs 80 pounds and she weighs, you know, 70 or something like that. And she goes, my dog just pulls me down the street and I can't do anything. And you see her walking the dog like this, you know, and we we throw Mr. Pinchy on there and, and we get the car and we show her how to use this so that the dog goes, oh, that's what you meant by back. Okay, I get it and the dog now is responsive to this correction so that she can walk her dog instead of just leaving the dog in the backyard. And so many people think, well, you know, that's mean. You shouldn't do these things to a dog. You shouldn't try and control a dog, and you shouldn't try and be oppressive like that. You should just let the dogs be free. But have you ever seen a dog that was free? They're mangy. They are. There's a free dog. He's free. Run free. He scavenges for food. You ever see a dog that starts to get restrictions, commands put on it? All those evil things? What happens to a dog that has that oppressive thing overseeing him? That's what happens. He takes over your bed. (laughs) He's on your lap. He gets petted. Why? He's been domesticated. He, he's falling into the rules of the household and he starts to understand that, you know what? It's not a bad thing to go to the bathroom outside. It's not a bad thing to not bite. It's not a bad thing to not growl. It's not a bad thing to go down or to stay or to listen to what the master says. It has its advantages, big advantages. It takes me from being outside outside and being mangy to being pampered and cared for. Why? Because I'm obeying the commands. And you see, that's what God is moving us to do. It's moving us to see the reality different, to see this idea of commands different. Now, I have an illustration that I want to to show you, but I need a volunteer. Volunteer. Steve, you, let me have you, Let's, come on up, sorry Steve, you, you, you raised your hand too quick and it made me scared. <laughs> All right. All right. What's your name, man? Ace? Alright, Ace. Yeah. All right, Ace. Here, here's the thing, Ace, we're going to do something and I want you to kind of follow me, I want you to put your hands together like this, kind of face me. And what I want you to do first is shadow what I do. And what that means is basically what I'm going to do with my hands, you're going to follow it. So if I go like this, You're going to do that. You're pretty good at this, man. (laughs) Okay. Okay, very good. Give him a hand. That was very good. Now, we're going to do that a little different. Now, I want you to replicate what I do. And what that means, instead of shadowing me, if I'm moving my right hand, it's your right hand. Okay, so if I'm moving this way, Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Spoke too soon. I oh, know. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's tricky. There we go. Okay, all right, not bad. Now there's one more thing that we're gonna do. I want you to follow me again. Okay, this time put your hands together. I want you to close your eyes. Okay, ready? Now. Right. Right. Left. Left. Okay, good. You see, you thought I was going to make him guess. And so many times we think that God is going to make us guess when really what we need is to listen. Thanks a lot, Ace. Give him a hand. That was great. We have this idea that God is asking us to do something, but he's not showing us how to do it. He's not telling us how but Jesus said that whatever I see my father do, that's what I do. Whatever I hear my father speak, that's what I say. And what he tells us in First John is that whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And our question is, how do we do that? How can I do that? How, God, how do you expect me to do this? This isn't just making a little change in my life. This is a whole shift in how I live. But God is not leaving us blind. He's not leaving us deaf. And that's why the scriptures are so important is they give us understanding, illustration of the heart of God so that we can know him. And that's why the spirit comes because he speaks to us so that we can hear him. I don't have to guess, God, what should I do? I don't know. I think what happens so many times is God speaks, but we are not listening. If you ever had this thought, it happens, Karina and I talk about this all the time because it happens a lot where someone's put on your heart and you're thinking about this person and you think, oh, I should call so-and-so. And then you don't, and then they call you. And you're like, ah, I knew I should have called them. You feel... Oh, I blew it, you know. I, oh, and I, we always just hate that. I knew I should have, but I didn't. But then there's those times where you do listen, where it's as if God is speaking to you. And just yesterday at Mary's um, mom's memorial service, someone shared a scripture in Psalm 23. And, and as they shared the Psalm 23, there was a part of that verse that, just jumped into my mind and so did this other person, this guy I know who's going through some tough situations. And as that came to mind later on, I just texted that scripture, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I just sent that to him. Out of the blue, I just thought, I haven't talked to the guy in a week or so. I haven't, you know, I just sent it to him and immediately he responded and he doesn't always respond at all and sometimes, you know, let alone immediately But he responded to me and he said, I was just taking my child back because he's going through a divorce and dropping him off and it was killing me. I just needed this right now so bad you don't know it. And you get that feeling that, you know what, I'm doing what God would do if he was me. I'm doing what Jesus would do if he was me. And really it's the other way around isn't it we're we're being like jesus we're trying to hear god speak and then act and do what god does and god would do it's not just blind he speaks to us he reveals himself through scripture he enlightens us he helps us to understand and, and when it says that This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Instead of that frightening us, that's meant to draw us. That's meant to open our understanding of this relationship that we can have with the living God. That it is active, that it is producing within us his life. I think modern Christianity has gotten this idea that it's a matter of learning. If we could just educate ourselves, if we could just know the scriptures, that's what we'll do. And so we we go to the seminaries and Bible colleges and I'm not putting those down, but if you're going to just learn information learn about God, you're missing the point entirely. It's not about learning, it's about knowing. And the scriptures are there to help us know God, not so that we can get more information. I was talking with a young man who's taking some courses in apologetics and he's like real excited and, and I, I love apologetics. I love having that information, but I, I shared with him, I have never brought anyone to faith by apologetics. It has helped my faith, but I've never brought someone to faith because of them. But what I have been able to do is bring people to faith because they see God in me. Because they want the relationship that I have with God. It is something that they see and they desire. People have come to faith because of what God is doing in me and his love for them through me. Because we think, oh, if I have the answer, man, you've got to accept the Lord now. I just laid out my cards. I win. You come to faith. And then they look at you and they go, nah, that's okay. Thanks anyway. What? How could you say no? I just answered all the questions. It wasn't a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of the relationship. The matter of the relationship. Again, apologetics are great, but that is not our goal, to learn more. Our goal is to know Him. And by knowing Him, it moves us into a relationship where we start to become like Him, where His work starts manifesting itself in our lives, where we start... Living a life of obedience because we're living a life of relationship. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. May we know him enough to walk as he walks. Let's pray. Father, the the challenge here isn't to do more. The challenge here is to live in relationship with you. The challenge here is to allow our relationship with you to affect who we are. And as John writes, if we are living lives of disobedience, then it shows that our relationship with you does not mean a lot that it's not active, that it's not significant. Maybe it's religious obligation. And Lord, we are constantly having to battle this tendency to think that, well, it's a matter of us doing enough things, of us acting a certain way. We have to obey the the Ten Commandments or the fruits of the Spirit, allowing those things to happen and we try and produce things and maybe we're just neglecting to realize that this is really about knowing you. This is really about loving you and allowing your commands to change us. That we would run to them because they are freeing, because they keep us from falling because they have intent that is good for us. You're not here to restrict us. God, you are here to clothe us in your righteousness, in your mercy, in your love. The psalmist cried out that your love, O Lord, is better than life. God, may we know you in such a way that that would be our heart's cry as well. And knowing you is the greatest thing, it's better than life, it's better than anything else. And Lord, if we would understand that and recognize that, we would live lives in expression, we would live lives that are not under obligation, that we would live lives that magnify who you are, that we would do the things that you do. That we would act how you act. And God, we we desire to see great things happen to us, but really, before the miraculous can happen, before those supernatural and powerful things can happen, there has to be the transformation We have to walk with you. We have to know you. And then you will speak to us and we will be able to speak. Then you will ask us to do and we will be able to do. All because we know you. So, Lord, this is our test that we know you. Because we live lives of truthful reflection of who you are. And I pray that that would take place within our lives more and more. I do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.